Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. For those who are, have just joined us probably in the last couple of weeks or this is your first time today, Amazing Grace is a series that we've been focusing on not just here in Every Nation Southside but also around the world all our other churches, even down the road, 40, well, 40 minutes or so, our central church, um, every nation in Auckland City are, are doing the sermon series as well. So it's great that we can come together in unity as a, you know, every nation movement worldwide, but more important, you know, for us here in, in Auckland uh, to be doing this. And, you know, the focus uh, of this sermon series is to help us and, and understand that God's amazing grace, it's far than greater than our sin. And coming into 2020, this series will help you appreciate you know, a new level of trust, I hope, and most importantly, to respond in a Christ-like way to the grace offered by Jesus for your life. And remember, I said last week, every time I say you and or you, you know, when I'm pointing at you, I'm referring to myself as well. Um, the conviction that I got as I prepared this message, um, every week has been a difficult preparation um, because of the conviction that I get. <laughs> and so I hope that my heart as I share today, you know, I, I'll probably share a couple, couple of personal stories just to, to gain some, you know, transparency with you um, in regards to today's topic. And every week so far, I've started off with this question. And the question is this. Um, the question is, what does grace look like and mean um, to your life this year? What does grace look like and mean uh, to the, your life this year? I'm going to ask the guys to click for me. I think my, my click is playing up. Um, so that, here's the first question. What does grace look like and mean for your life this year? You know, uh, many of us, we know this word grace, right? But the meaning of this word uh, can be difficult to grasp and, and, you know, understand, especially uh, when you look at how the Bible explains it, yeah? And a very basic definition of this word grace is what, this is my definition, is to be given something freely and generously with no strings attached. So today is an interesting angle of this word grace, this idea I'm going to share today has affected, yeah, it's affected me in a personal way, both um, physically uh, with the things I've seen in my life and spiritually uh, with the things I have wrestled with as a follower and believer of Jesus throughout these past years. And today I want to focus on this word sufficient, uh, sufficient grace. And today I want us to look at how grace can be sufficient during your hard times and in times of suffering. When it comes to God, when is it sufficient enough for God to allow anyone, you and I, to suffer in life? I mean, why, why do bad things happen, you know, to good people when they have done nothing wrong? You and I, I guess. And so to begin, let us look at the book in the New Testament um, called Corinthians. I'll go to the next slide. 
And we will refer to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses you know, 1 to 10. And the book of Corinthians is a letter written by the well-known follower of Jesus named Paul behind me here. And Paul, he's this devout Pharisee, right? A Pharisee is someone who followed the laws of Moses and cultural and religious traditions of Israel. And because of Paul's religious beliefs in the Pharisee laws, uh, he didn't like these so-called Christians that were living in his community. So he was determined to go out and persecute any followers of Jesus, you know, and that followed his movement, that movement that was beginning to grow within his community. He did whatever it took to stop Christianity from growing. And over time, one day, as you see here, Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus. And he ends up becoming a loyal follower of Jesus himself. And Paul is then sent out to share about Jesus and becomes, you know, the very first advocate for Jesus to the non-Jewish world. And Corinth, Corinth was known to its ports and its big economic center in the ancient world. It was also known for its major temples of Greek and Roman gods. So Paul, Paul strategically went there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And he spends a year and a half there building relationally with them. And in time, people become disciples of Jesus. And then the church community of Corinth is formed. Now, after this year and a half spent at Corinth, you know, Paul moves on to other cities during doing what he does best, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And while traveling from town to town, you know, during those travels, he starts hearing reports about the church in Corinth. He hears um, about them that they're not going, it's not going well, the church there. So he writes these letters. And to these letters to the Corinth churches, and the Bible, ha- the Bible itself has these two letters, right, that are recorded. The first letter he writes was to deal with some of the problems that needed to be corrected. And there were issues of division amongst each Christian brothers and sisters, you know, in Corinth, uh, who, you know, with who they followed and, and what they believed. There was sexual immorality in the church, and, and people were claiming that it was fine. There was arguments about the type of food that you were to eat as a Christian in a nation that worshipped and sacrificed animals to false gods. So these were some things Paul needed to address in his first letter to the church of Corinth. Now the second letter was written because the issue and problems that Paul was, you know, wrote about in his first letter, well, sad to say, Many of the Corinthian Christians rejected his, his advice in the first letter. So I guess you could say Paul's second letter was to challenge and to encourage the naysaying Christians who rebelled against his, you know, words of wisdom. His second letter makes many of these people in the Corinth church eventually realize how arrogant they were towards his teachings. And the majority, I won't say all of them, but the majority of these Christians, they ended up repenting, repenting for their attitude towards his first letter that he wrote to them. And so Paul's second letter was to let them be aware that he still loved them, 
He loved them and was committed to them. And today, I will only be, you know, I'll focus on a, a, a small part of this letter. And so, with that brief background just given, I want us to look at the second letter that he wrote to the Christian Corinthians, and I'm going to dive in near the end of this letter, and let me bring your attention to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll start here at verse 1, and this is what it reads, allow me to boast, this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth, allow me to boast, in other words, allow me to show off, okay, allow me to boast a little, although there is nothing to be gained from my boasting, let me bring up the matter of visions and revelations from the Lord. The thing about the Corinth church, I mentioned how many of the Corinthian Christians rejected, you know, Paul's advice. And there were actually certain reasons why they did not listen to Paul's words of wisdom from his first letter. And those certain reasons were because Paul was poor. He was this poor missionary with a manual labor type of job while living in Corinth. The Christian uh, Corinthians thought Paul, it was like he seemed to be facing some type of persecution or physical suffering every time he would proclaim Jesus at all these different cities that he was going into. So to the Corinthians, he wasn't much of a great kind of leader for this Jesus movement because he was always getting beaten up or put in prison. And to top it off for the church of Corinth, over time, they started to hear of and see these other Christian leaders who seemed more impressive in the way that they spoke and even looked. They looked wealthy and they came across rich and successful. This is what impressed the, the Corinth Christians. And at some point, they started to think less of Paul as a leader. Why? Because Paul, he didn't look rich. He didn't look successful. Paul was always under persecution. You know, majority of his time as this famous advocate for Jesus, he was broke and he was poor. Paul's Christianity, it didn't have anything to show for, right, in his physical and outward appearance. People knew Paul. They knew that he wasn't even that good of a public speaker. Let's be honest, because this is how I would think. But how many of us would follow a Christian leader if they weren't very good at entertaining you with the way they speak? How many of us would follow a passionate Christian advocate for Jesus if they didn't look or seem to be financially successful? What are the things that you and I consider a successful Christian leader should have? And for myself as a pastor, I think going five years now, I am this is this on this side of, of the fence. I am constantly trying to improve the way I speak on the stage in front of you all. So many things I think about when I speak is my tone of voice, 
sound happy and, and not boring? And do I stutter in my speech? In other words, do I fob out? Do I sound excited when I speak? Is my PowerPoint entertaining enough to capture and hold people's attention? Is my topic, is it interesting? So you, you are able to engage and stay off Instagram or Facebook right now? Oh, no jokes. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you belong, okay, if you belong to Every Nation Southside and you call this community your spiritual family, right? The Church of the Great South. And if, and if at any time you ever go out to any conferences or gatherings hosted by other churches and you meet some amazing Christians from those churches, people will ask you what church you belong to. And when you say, you know, every nation self-sight, be prepared and be amazed that they will not have no idea who every nation self-sight is. Guaranteed as well, they may say, ah, you guys are part of the all nations, right? Right then and there, please, just try not to get offended. Try not to get offended by them for not knowing your church. Even worse, if they ask who your pastor is, you know, be ready to stop yourself from punching them in the neck when they can't even pronounce my name properly. Oh, who's your pastor? Oh, Pastor Olu. Oh, Pastor Elu. Oh, Pastor Talu. I'm telling you now, they won't know me, okay? I'm sorry, but I'm just not famous. Coming back to this verse. Allow me to show off a little. Although there is nothing to be gained from it, let me bring up the matter of visions and revelations from the Lord. You know, I already mentioned how there was some so-called Christian leaders coming to the churches of Corinth, boasting about their exploits and how faithful and how dedicated they were. But in actual fact, these Christian leaders were manipulating. They were manipulating the Corinthian churches into believing they were the true apostles of Jesus. And Paul, he calls them the super apostles. They were these true apostles of Jesus, yet teaching false and ungodly things. So in order to get back the attention of the Christian Corinthians, Paul, he has to boast. He has to show off a little about his exploits. So he begins talking about visions that he encounters with God in these next verses from verses 2 to 5. Let me read this to you. And this is what he says as he shows off. I know a man in Christ who for 14 years ago was caught up to the paradise. Now, when he goes, I know a man, he's talking about himself, third person. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to paradise, uh, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Only God does. And he was caught up to paradise. There he heard the unspeakable spoken, but was forbidden to tell others about what he heard. This is the man I will show off and boast about. I will not boast or show off about myself, but if I do, it will only be about my weaknesses. Wow. Can you see what Paul 
is done here. He doesn't try to display his list of academic achievements. He doesn't mention any of the famous Christian leaders he got to work alongside with. He doesn't talk about the people that he led to become disciples of Jesus who then went on to become famous. He does not make any claims about the great crowds he preached to or the miracles he saw happen in his ministry travels. He doesn't say anything about being this internationally known speaker. Paul didn't say one word about those exploits. But what he does choose, he chooses to boast and show off about, is his weaknesses. I mean, verse 9, look here behind me, it says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, in other words, so I don't, you know, brag or get a big head, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul refuses to show off about his personal accomplishments. Because to him, those things didn't really matter as a Christian. Instead, he boasts about his flaws and how weak he is. In this instance, he mentions how he has this thorn in his flesh. There are so many interpretations to what this thorn in his flesh may have been. And he may have had some type of pain that he was you know, physically struggling with. It could have been a physical or, or emotional type of pain. It may have been some type of physical disability. And as he would constantly ask God to take this pain away, it seems like God never took it away from Paul. Because it is in those inadequacies, the difficult times, the suffering, the hard times, the trials, the pain, Paul was able to find the grace given to him by God sufficient enough for his life. When was it the last time that you ever boasted, right, to someone about Jesus using a personal testimony that was an embarrassing story about your Christian life just so you could proclaim how awesome Jesus is? Is it, you know, it's like, it doesn't work that way, right? Am I not supposed to boast about how successful I have become in my job or making good money? How, how life is great with God and all these amazing things I'm doing for Him now in my life, becoming famous for the things I do and the person I am today? Is that not how I should be boasting about my Christian life? It brings me back to this personal story. You know, it might have been the first year or the second year of being a full-time pastor of Every Nation Southside. Church back then was based in Auckland Girls Grammar School. Who was part of Auckland Girls Grammar School? Yeah, quite a few of us. 
We would have, for those who don't know, right, we would have our Southside Church service every Sunday morning in Auckland Central, literally 40 minutes outside of South Auckland. We refused to change our name. <laughs> we would turn up to Central Auckland, Auckland Girls Grandma School, please pray for them, and every morning we would say, welcome to every nation, Southside. <laughs> you know, visitors would come, Southside. Okay, lock up the car, son, quick, lock it up. That's always the same. Good things come out of Galilee, yo. And at the time, our family, my family, we lived in East Central Auckland, Pamuel, Sylvia Park area. And so we would, we would drive to Auckland Central every Sunday morning and lead the church. Many of you here would have driven to church from all different parts of Auckland, but mainly of the church congregation, you came from South Auckland, right? I will never forget, there was a period of, of uh, time, our family, myself, Weens, my two sons, they were, they were young at that time. We would have to leave home at 6 a.m. and catch the bus to church. We had to wake up our kids early in the morning to do this. And the reason why we had to catch the bus every Sunday in the early hours of the morning was because our, finan our, our financial situation as the pastors of every nation south side, it was tight, <laughs> meaning we didn't have the money to afford a car. We would catch up, we would catch an early morning bus, get to church, help set up the stage with the setup team back then, yup, yup, have our band practice with the worship team, lead worship with them, then preach, and when church was finished, we would hang out for a while until everything was packed down, and the school auditorium was locked up, would say goodbye to everyone as they drove out of the car park area. <laughs> Then we would walk across K Road to Simon Street, catch the bus with tired kids, and we were worn out from just a long day of work. We did this for a little while as your pastors for the church. Living in that moment, was it embarrassing for me in Weens because as your pastors, we weren't financially stable? Well, let me say, we were humbled. I will never forget those times of jumping off at Simon Street. We were walking across K Road in the early hours, right, of the morning with our kids. And usually at that time, maybe some of you know, or some of you were there, on K Road, staggering out now, coming to church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I feel the spirit. No, let's not go there. And usually at that time on K Road, there are still people coming from the nightclubs, you know, on the road. A few unfriendly drunks that we needed to avoid. The stench of the different kind of odors that, that people had left behind that we had to walk past. 
Those were some of the trialing times for me and Wins as pastors of Every Nation Southside. I don't think many people knew about our situation. I can't remember, to be very honest. I'm sure I shared with the elders, and they covered us. But I will never forget those times, because not only did we do it for the sake of being pastors of the church, whether we were embarrassed or, or humbled to tell people about it, we knew God called us into this role. It didn't make sense, but somehow, just somehow, it was doable. It was doable because God's grace was sufficient in that time of our lives. It was so amazingly sufficient that we were able to set an example to our kids of how exciting life is when you are living it for Jesus. That was one of our times that shaped us to be examples of being good godly parents to them. And it was just also, I don't know, man, beautifully amazing or sufficient because times like that has shaped us to be the pastors we are today for this great, uh, for this great community of people, you. And so let's look at that verse 9, if we can pop that up. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, and it's this next part here, so that Christ's power may rest on me. We, will, we all admire those who are strong or talented, the wealthy, the ones who are successful in their Christian life. I look around this room, and there are, there are so many of you who fit that category and my human nature would choose to, to follow someone like that. It was no different for the, the Corinth church. They respected those with money and success. You need to know they were followers of Jesus, still learning how to live Christ-like, choosing to move away from their Greek and Roman gods that they once believed in. And the Corinthians they had a hard time believing in a God who became a man, who suffered and was crucified and died. It didn't make sense to them, right, that to become a Christian meant to follow this man who told his disciples that they should take up a cross and join him in pain and sorrow and trials and in hardship. So they would look at the life of Paul. And to them, Paul was poor, had nothing in a physical sense to stand on as being a great Christian leader. And if Paul, the greatest of apostles, could not even get God to take away the thorn in his flesh that he talks about, then what was the point for the Corinthian Christians to follow a weak God? But that's the point. If you follow Jesus, you need to understand it will never be about you. The bottom line is this. Even though we're not able to, to understand much of the suffering that takes place in this world and in your life, we who are followers of Christ as our Lord and Savior simply have to walk by faith. Confident that God never makes mistakes that all of his dealings 
with us are in love, even when we can't make any sense of what's happening, and that one day he's going to make it all come out like it's supposed to. Before I close off in prayer, let me read you this quote from the great evangelist, Billy Graham. And this is what he says, in olden times when a ship's carpenter needed timber to make a mast for a sailing vessel, he did not cut down a tree in the valley, but he went up on the mountainside where the trees had been pelted by wind, rain, snow, and sleet. He knew that those trees were strong from having withstood the fierce elements, heartache and suffering are not our choices. But if we allow him to, God will use the storms of life to strengthen us so that we are not only will be blessed ourselves, but so that we can also be a blessing to others. If God did not allow us, right, to experience these failures, these sufferings, difficulties, man, we would never rely on God we would continue to think how great we are and how much we are in control over our lives. It is in our weaknesses we surrender our will to God. The only way I have made it through the trials and pains in my life has been by the power of God. I did not have the power to make it through and I did not think I would make it through without Him. But God will give you strength at the right time in this time, he will send people, you know, to come to your aid and help you at the right time. So learn this year for 2020, learn to be content, to delight, to take pleasure in your weaknesses and sufferings. Because I know God is at work in you so that his power can be displayed. So the focus of 2020 is not about, hear me now, it's not about trying to remove your difficulties. That is not the goal. Rather, the focus for the beginning of this year is to take this new perspective and look at your trials and let's follow Paul's example. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses why? So that Christ's power, His power, may rest on me. Let's pray.